This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 201. This episode is brought to you by BrentRentsLenses.com. If you're looking for a lens to try out before you buy it, uh, or if you have a special shoot coming out, coming up, check out BrentRentsLenses.com and then use offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. And check out BrentRentsLenses.com. They are now selling off some gear that you may want to take a look at. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I am joined by Jeff Harmon, the host of the Photo Taco Podcast, and photographer extraordinaire, Brian McGuckin. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, hey Jim. Great. Well, we have a lot to talk about in episode 201. Uh, something I am really interested uh, in, I did a little testing on this week, is eye tracking for photographers. So this is super cool. Uh, what I wanted to know was where people's eyes go when they're looking at, at a photo. Like, you know, we, we always talk about leading the person's eye through, uh, through a photo or something like that. Uh, but I, I wanted to like actually get the data of eye tracking to, uh, to see where people's eyes go as they're looking, um, as they're looking at a photo. Have either of you guys seen any of this? You know, what's funny. I, uh, I'm teaching my students, I'm doing a photography club and I was showing them something about the rule of thirds. And, and this was just yesterday. And I was uh, doing a Google search and a picture popped up that showed that the eyes, 67% of the people or some somewhere around there first look in like the top left area of a photo of where the rule of thirds, where they would intersect. I don't yeah, know like, if that's accurate, but like, because we're trained when we're learning to read, to start there and, and go through. Yeah, I've seen tons of studies of like computer software since that's the field I've worked in forever where they'll, they'll, they'll study the UI, how it's laid out based on where the eyes are looking and they can tell it's poorly designed if people are looking all over the place to find something. Yeah, so I, I've done the same thing as you, Jeff. Um, uh, so with eye tracking software and photography, I've done the same thing as you, Jeff, where I'll like uh, take a look at um, at the website. And when I do a redesign of the website, I'll put on uh, some code on there that will track where people's mouse goes on the screen yeah, so that you right. can see what links they're clicking, what they're looking at and stuff. So I wanted to apply that same thing to photography, but it's obviously harder because it's not just where the mouse goes on the screen. It's just where their pupils are looking. Right. And so I found some pretty cool software uh, that will track people's eye as they're looking at photos. So what I did for this test is I, um, I got the software and I, I showed a photo to, uh, to a few people for 10 seconds. They would just look at each photo and what the software would do then is track where their eye went. And I found out some really cool things. I'm sharing all the results in the Lightroom steel that's going to be released on December 28. I have a great video tutorial on it. But the coolest finding that I found is when you make a shape out of your composition, like, you know, you have a triangle shaped mountain and you want to uh, to show off that that strong shape in your composition. People's eyes make this perfect triangle and they're lo they'll look around. it. It's, it's just really neat. Uh, or also I looked at um, at like framing, you know, like if you have your composition and you have, um, you know, a tree on both sides of the of the 
composition, something like that, then, you know, you want to bring people's eyes into the middle. You want to, you know, kind of frame out the sides of the composition. This is hard to explain without a visual. <laughs> uh, this is really hard. Um, but what I, what I learned from it is people's eyes only stay between those two trees. They never actually look at the trees. You'll just kind of trap people's mm. eyes between those two things. And so if your composition, like let's say we have two trees and then between it is just, you know, a lake, something kind of ordinary, not real interesting. Well, people aren't really ever going to pay attention to the texture and stuff on that trees because their eyes just kind of stay focused toward the middle of the frame. Uh, so it was really neat. Anyway, there are uh, tons of, of findings that I'm that I'm sharing in a, a new video training called Block Method Composition in the Lightroom Steel uh, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but I kind of wanted to just introduce the concept um, in the in the podcast and bring out some of the things. So it's it's pretty cool. That sounds really cool. That'd, that'd be fun to see uh, some of our own photos and how people look at them. Yeah, I, I, I'll uh, take a look if I, uh, if I can recommend the software. The software that I used for it is called Eyes Decide, like E Y E S Decide, and it uses your webcam. You have to put your face kind of close to the webcam, and then it can track your pupil where you're looking on the screen. Uh, so it was, it's kind of cool software. You really could do that, Jeff. You could, you know, sign up. They had a free account. Even if you want to uh, try with a couple, you could uh, test some of your photos and just have a couple people look at the link that they send you. It was pretty neat. You don't need a special webcam to do that? No, you can use any webcam. It has to be lit really well so it can see your eye clearly and you have to scoot close to the screen. And I found that uh, only about a third a quarter of the of the webcams that that were tried it would accept it has to be pretty high quality and stuff but i tested it because i wanted to make sure it was really accurate that we were going to get good results and it's totally cool they have a video game on there you can play where it will show like <laughs> ants walking around on your screen and you just look at them and it'll pop the ant it was so cool <laughs> anyway so uh it, it's pretty neat uh if you're wanting to to get really dive into your compositions and learn more about that uh check out the lightroom steel that's on november 28th that's cyber monday uh, it's gonna be 72 hours only we give out a bunch of lightroom presets and this video training on composition is going to be in there uh, which i have spent i was just telling these guys before we started i spent eight hours editing just the first 19 minutes of the video i really want it to be good uh, so i'm not going to be sleeping much in the next week getting it all ready and uh <laughs> brian you have some presets coming out in the lightroom steel as well so mm -hmm. very cool yeah all right, uh, Jeff, today you wanted to talk a little bit about how to get creative on finding leads for paid shoots. Tell us about your marketing efforts. So I'm not trying to be a professional photographer, right? I, I think I've made that pretty clear on the podcast over the last few years that I like being a hobbyist photographer. That doesn't mean I don't do paid shoots though. I, I like an occasional paid shoot that uh, it, it helps boost the budget for the gear and, uh, and software. So that's always good. And it challenges me. It helps me to improve. It helps me to get better. So I, I do occasionally do some and um, I kind of stumbled across it. it. I just thought about raising it today as a subject to try to offer some help, maybe to other hobbyists or even as you're, you're trying to get into it. It seems like a, a really hard problem to solve, but how do I get into it? 
it's it's a uh, it can be something that can be self fulfilling later. Like I think some of the other hosts, like Nick, he got into this. He's really been able to to build up a, a big following and um, establish himself as a professional. Uh, it doesn't always work that way for everyone. So how is it that they they can do that? And I I didn't do it on purpose either, but I kind of stumbled across a way that has helped me. So one of the things that I wanted to do just for fun, I wanted to get media credentials to go shoot the local high school football team. And it, nobody would do it. <laughs> so I, I tried a lot of the conventions. I went straight to the school. There's, I already said, no, we already have a photographer. We're not going to give you credentials. I tried with uh, some of the boosters or supporters, like people who had paid to advertise at the, the different sporting events. They're kind of sponsoring the sporting events. And because uh, they can often help you to get media credentials, none of them would help me either. So um, I, I kind of was forced into giving up on football for the year. But then I had a neighbor who's got two sons that are on the basketball team and nobody cares about the basketball team on taking photos. So I said, you know, I've been trying to get media credentials. I couldn't get in football. If you can help me get some media credentials, then I'll come and shoot some of the basketball games and be able to get them, get you some shots. And she leapt at the idea because last year, all they had was a student that was taking the photos and, and the student was delivering them via text, <laughs> which I don't even know how that worked, how the student took, like it was on a phone, maybe. I don't, I don't know how that was happening, how the student was getting photos of the basketball team over to him, but the, the quality was really, really bad. So uh, they were super excited at anyone taking an interest. It's like a total difference between the football. There's so many people that want to shoot the football and nobody cared about the basketball. So I went and, and they had a, uh, the school intro of the team to the school. They just got together and played a seven minute scrimmage. They had some competitions between like the soccer, the girls soccer team and the boys basketball team and just a fun night to, for them to introduce the team to the school uh, so we haven't even done a game yet. The first game will be in in a couple of weeks. But um, so, I was there. I took so, pictures of so the wait, I, I don't get it though. Why are you trying to get into into a sporting event to get paid shoots? Yeah, so uh, it's gonna it's it's led to paid shoots is what I was getting at. Like with the players or what? Yeah, so I, I've taken some pictures. Right, I, I went this one night. It wasn't even a game, but the people were so starved for basketball team photos that. I've posted a couple from the scrimmage now to social media, um, putting like one image a day out on Instagram, or uh, I put a few, a, a small collection of them out on my Facebook, my business Facebook page. And as a result, I've had a 763% increase of visitors to my, my uh, Facebook page, my business Facebook page. And um, the Instagram photos are just spreading like fire through the, the whole student body. The basketball players are tagging themselves on the photos and the people are saying how cool the shots look. And it's, it's uh, within a, less than a week, two days after shooting that non-game event, it wasn't even a game yet, I had people asking if I do seniors, if I do senior photos. And so I'm, I'm going to get some paid jobs out of it. And I'm going to become more of a known photographer in the area for something that was fun. I, I enjoyed going and, and shooting the basketball game. It was kind of fun. It, but it, it was like finding a place where I didn't have a ton of other competition trying to shoot the, get the shot. 
I've also discovered go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, and now that you've got into that, now you've got your foot in the door with the school, which can also get you into the football games or anything else. I am betting that next year they're going to ask if I want to be there for football. If they, if, if you charge them, you say, Oh, now you want me. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) I've also discovered, I kind of really enjoy trying to transform these normal kinds of photos into I'm calling them game day photos. So a lot of universities are doing this now too. I'm seeing it constantly where on Instagram, on game day, on Facebook, on game day, they put like a shot of one of the players and all the info about the game and, a, and even a hashtag for what hashtag they're going to use as other things are posted through the game. So I've been replicating that with my shots and producing them so that it's a game day shot. I'm using like a preset in Lightroom to kind of apply a grunge look to the players to try to toughen them up, these, <laughs> these young high school players, make them little, look a little meaner and tougher. And then I add graphics to it. I add a hashtag. So I, I start in Lightroom, then I go into Photoshop, kind of eliminate the background, replace it with some school colors, put in the school logo, put on there the hashtag Go Mustangs. They're the high school. That's a cool idea, Jeff. Mustangs. I like this. I like it because it's... it's um, something that people are interested in like i follow the boise state broncos right i love the boise state broncos football team and they do the same thing they'll post a you know a photo and then like at halftime they'll post the score um and i they're getting shared like crazy like everybody in boise has that as their facebook status when they come up that's a cool idea idea to do for a high school uh to do for the the sports teams because the players are you know they're all like yay i'm on the computer right (laughs) look look, the internet cares about one of them is going to have my awesome. they're going to have my domain on it so in the lower right and kind of unobtrusively it says jsharmanphotos.com so I'm, it's just getting spread like crazy and we haven't even had the season start so I, I, just, I just wanted to try to offer some help about if you're really stuck try to find something like this if the boys basketball team was already being covered the girls isn't guaranteed it's it's not being covered and that would be a way to go do it too is go cover the girls basketball team i've, I've had the girls coach contact me like is there any way you could make it to one of our games too yeah not to, and you know I, and you know you're right that you know people are interested in, in the football especially in the united states but even basketball too is usually very popular you could use the same strategy and go to lacrosse and track and field and tennis the sports that don't get a lot of attention but they have you know track and field there's a lot of people in track and field and so you could you could you know spread to a lot of people there and then you know contact the players it'd be a great way to sell photos after games I, I that's really smart jeff i love how you're doing that that's cool yeah well it was accidental <laughs> <laughs> very cool All right, Brian, today you wanted to talk a little bit about how photography has impacted your life. Tell us about it. Not so much about me and, and how it's impacted my life. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Hearing, hearing Jeff say all this and just it's been neat to see, you know, the improved photography family over the past few years and getting to know, you know, all you guys more and, you know, hearing like Nick's story you know, from being in bed for, what was it, like eight months or something from from back surgery or something with his back. And just looking at just the way his life is totally different now because he studied photography during that time and, and watched the videos and just all the opportunities that he's had from that. And you know, myself, I've 
it's all been a dream for me of, of the opportunities that I've had and never would have imagined. And then seeing, you know, with Jeff, just some of his successes and all coming, it just made me wonder, you know, with you guys, with how has just photography impacted your life? You know, not just as far as, oh, you know, I'm taking nice pictures, but just your life in general from that, you know, for example, I drive down the street and I see lines coming out of the corners. You know, I, I see the light, I see shadows. <laughs> I, I see things in high dynamic range. And I truly, I truly do see life differently because of it. And, you know, I've had some amazing opportunities to be able to travel around the world and shoot, you know, NFL games, which is a dream of mine. And I just think it's so neat to hear the story behind people of just the impact that's had in people's life. So I guess it's more of a question to you guys with how your life has been impacted because of this one thing we all share in common when we're totally different people that live totally different lives. So, you know, the thing I'm looking most forward to, or the thing I appreciate the most, I'm most excited about is that this is something I think I'm going to be able to do until I die. And there's not a lot of things that you can look forward to that. Like someday I'm not going to have my nine to five job and I'm going to retire. And then what am I going to do? And I, I know, so I, I've had, I've heard studies before. Um, Boeing did a study where they had people that were delaying retirement for a really long time. And they built up this massive retirement savings that the company was going to have to pay out. And when they finally were kind of forced into retirement, they died because their whole purpose and meaning in life was defined by working at Boeing. And uh, so they ended up with these windfalls of like extra money that they didn't have to pay out because the people had died. It's stories like that that make me think I need to have more purpose. I want to enjoy some life after I'm done doing my nine to five job. So even though it's probably also why I really want to maintain this as a hobby, because I want to do this and as for something that I'm fun, having fun with for the, for the rest of my life, it's a type of activity you can do really forever because um, it doesn't have to include a lot of physical. You don't have to have a lot of youth on your side. You can do this for a really long time. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that's really, and the perspective too, Brian, like I said, as I was coming home from that nine to five today, the sun was setting as I was got in the car it was gorgeous out there. We have a fresh dusting of snow that just happened. The first snow of the year here in Utah. I wanted so badly to be taking photos of it. And instead I had to commute home, but, um, <laughs> but, I, but I did, I loved watching it and it was just breathtaking to me. And before I had been picked up the camera, I maybe would have noticed it. I don't know if I even would have, or just focused on that commute. Yeah, I, I definitely understand what you mean, Jeff, about uh, being worried about taking photography on as a business. Uh, I remember when I first started to to turn photography into a business and starting improved photography, I heard from just about everybody around me, uh, don't do it because as soon as you do it as a business, you're not going to enjoy it anymore. Um, and that has totally not been the case uh, for me, not at all. Uh, I've very much i enjoy in fact the exact same about maybe more uh getting out and shooting out a landscape or portraits whatever uh just exactly as much as i did before it was ever a business um and so i i don't know i i think 
part of of enjoying photography for me is the fact that uh that I, well i love business i think it's exciting like for in my leisure time i read business books and stuff i just think it's fun <laughs> and so to be able to mesh that with photography for me has been awesome um i you know it's certainly not for everybody there are certain things that i've tried to turn into a business before and it just ruined it for me uh but uh, but photography hasn't been that way at all uh, do you feel that way brian do you feel like uh like photography as a business ruins photography as fun for you? I wouldn't say that, that it ruins it. Um, I'm fortunate that a lot of my photography business is fun for me, you know, whether it's traveling to, to Iceland to, you know, shoot with, with you and meet you guys for the first time or, um, or going to a lot of games or I get to do a lot of events. And so the events are fun. I think what I, what I like about it is it's a challenge. And I like challenges and I like being pushed out of my comfort zone and having to like figure something out. You know, to me, I, I don't consider myself an artist. You know, photography is more math and numbers and trying to calculate stuff to get the, a shot that I want. Um, but I, so I wouldn't say it's taking the joy out of it. You know, I feel that there are a lot of times where I don't get to just go out and shoot for myself. Uh, the, a lot of the sports games may be for myself, but I don't get to go out and just practice photography because I have a full-time job teaching, a full-time job, you know, with photography and full-time family, which is my priority. So yeah, the mm -hmm. business allows you to do photography period. Otherwise it just might not mm -hmm. happen at all. But you know, yeah. somebody commented, uh, Adrian R. Washney, um, commented that, uh, that they like taking wedding photos and that they've had opportunities to do that. Like for me, shooting a wedding is a nightmare. <laughs> it's a nightmare. Uh, like I've been glad at times that to have that, you know, from a business perspective, it brings in a good in income, but Holy cow, that's a nightmare day for me, uh, is when I'm shooting a wedding, you know, people like Erica Kay, she clearly loves doing that. Right. She just loves the whole experience of it. Uh, that, that everything about it. I'm sure she, yeah, I know she has days that she, that she probably hates it, but she just <laughs> lives that kind of thing. And like, she really is just super excited for her clients and she just loves that. Uh, for me, nightmare, right? So, I, I mean, it's not that uh, I love photography so much that I'll just do whatever anytime. But uh, but when when you do love a type of photography, uh, then uh, I, I haven't had problems putting it in, into business or anything. And, and it's totally changed my life. I mean, I was a lawyer a few years ago uh, or I was I was, uh, I, it, you know, just about, uh, you know, I passed the bar and stuff. I never actually practiced law. Once I passed the bar, I was already uh, doing improved photography stuff. Um, but. I'm just so glad, especially to have the, the flexibility of a photographer's schedule is, is awesome to me. I, I just really love that. I, I like working in sprints. I'll spend, you know, like right now for the last couple of weeks, I've been working all hours like crazy, getting ready for the Lightroom steal. Um, and the next week, I don't really see sleep uh, happening uh, much at all because mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to be working like crazy. But then December, I usually take a lot of December off, uh, you know, after a crazy uh, schedule in the fall, getting everything ready with the Lightroom steel. I usually spend the last half of, of each year uh, kind of tidying up business things, doing books uh, and preparing a travel schedule for the next year. So I love uh, being able to work that way where it's not just nine to five. Uh, it's sometimes it's all the time and sometimes it's almost none of the time. And I, I just love being able to work that way. You know, the other thing I really love too has been the, I do family portraits is the, the most I get in my 
business side of photography. And I love seeing how they react when they see the photos. It is so fun to see that because they, they have kind of a, you know, a timeless capture now of their family at that moment in time. And, uh, and that brings tons of joy to me too. So I, I really, really love that experience. I love that when that is the experience. I hate it when the <laughs> comes back and says, could you make everything black and white except for the rose? And it's like, oh no. <laughs> like it's fun when you can do that for somebody, but often like totally independent of what your skill is. You know, Erica Kay talks about this on the, on the portrait session podcast, how she's had some unhappy clients recently. And it's like, if you're unhappy with Erica's work, what are you? Yeah, no kidding. With, you know, mm. uh, so <laughs> it's it's sometimes it's totally independent of you. Sometimes you're just gonna have clients who just aren't happy uh, with what you've done, and that that can be really hard uh, when you're doing the professional side of photography because you know you put your heart and soul into it, you practice, you do your best, and then to get somebody unhappy with the work, it can sting. Uh, it takes that happening a dozen, two dozen, a hundred times before it starts to even dull the pain. <laughs> That's just a tough thing. Well, I know that question wasn't the, you know, we may have lost some listeners there because they want to hear like the geeky stuff that you guys love, but you know, I'm a relationship <laughs> person. So I just wanted to hear that about you guys. So thanks for sharing that. Very cool. <laughs> well, let's get into the geeky stuff. Speaking of, uh, let's talk a little bit about exposure lock. I asked Jeff to talk about this, uh, today because Jeff, you did an awesome episode of photo taco. Uh, we always get lots of new listeners. So I'm just going to go over something very basic. Those of you listening to the podcast are like, are you serious? You didn't know this. Uh, you can get our podcasts, uh, downloaded to your phone automatically every week. Uh, if you're on an iPhone, you already have the podcast app downloaded just press in the middle of your screen and swipe down and then type podcasts and you have an app to do this and then just search photo taco improve photography portrait session and you can or in tripod and you'll get all of our shows automatically downloaded well jeff's photo taco is uh, usually around 10 minutes long sometimes 10 to 20 minutes let's call it now um uh, episodes on just different techniques in photography uh, and it is the show has really hit its stride lately, Jeff. You've you've done a great job with it, and you did an interesting episode recently on exposure lock. It's something that I almost never use. So tell us about when we could use exposure lock and uh, and uh, how we do this. Okay, so this came from a listener question, and the show it feeds a lot off of listener questions. And what I do is. Uh, every episode is completely dedicated to a specific topic. So I don't go through like five or six listener questions. It is, I pick one listener question and I spend, it's actually probably, I think it's averaging more like 30 minutes lately. <laughs> it's all, you eat a lot of tacos. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Taco I, show I've anymore. actually had people say I need to change the intro because we, <laughs> Jim says in the intro, in the time it takes to eat a taco and in the yeah, time you, it takes to eat several tacos. Yeah. Okay. So, so the listener asked about exposure lock and when I saw the question, I was like, well, I, I roughly know what it is, but like you, Jim, I never used it. Brian, do you ever use exposure lock? Yeah, I do. You do. You do. How do you use it, Brian? I've when used it before. Use, I mean, just, not how, but when do you use it? Uh, I'll use it sometimes, just when I'm when I'm doing some family portraits, and you know, if there's our you know little little ones that moving around or up and down, and 
Yeah, I just do. I don't, okay. I mean, I don't, I don't think about it a whole lot. <laughs> All right. So it, it wasn't something that fit into most of the work that I did. I, landscape, there's no, no reason for it that I can think of. Um, even in the family portraits, uh, I generally just stick in the manual. The light changes a little bit because I do it outdoors most of the time, but not so fast that it ends up being a massive problem most of the time for exposure. So I haven't personally used the feature a whole lot. I did when I first was learning, when I, was I first got my camera, because I wasn't ever in manual mode. I was petrified of it at first, of course. Uh, everyone seems to go through that phase. But so in, in those semi-auto modes, that, that's the first part of this is it only applies in either automatic or semi-auto modes like aperture priority or shutter priority. It won't do anything in manual. And then you, uh, the idea is you can kind of provide some hints to your camera or override your camera a, a little bit more than normal by, by locking the exposure. So you can point your camera to a place where you want it, it to meter from, and then you can hit the, uh, the exposure auto lock button. It's configurable and different on every camera. So you're going to have to look up how to do that or go listen to the episode. I walked through how to do it hands on camera for both Nikon and Canon. And there's some differences between how those two worked as well. But that's, that's the idea is you, you put the camera so that you say, I want a meter from this setting. You hit the lock. It will not, even in the auto mode, um, it won't change the, the exposure settings based on the metering until you take the picture or you take the lock off. It, it varies by the camera kind of how it behaves. But that's the idea. Uh, you can kind of tell your camera, stop worrying about the metering and stop changing the exposure settings for a second. Here's how I want you to meter and just keep using these settings. And um, so the, the biggest, the best use case I heard, I, I asked listeners, actually, I, I did a poll on social media to say, does anyone ever use this? Do, do, I did it on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, sent out a poll and said, uh, who uses this? And most people, it, the vast majority either said, I don't use it. I know what it is, but I don't use it. Or I don't know what that is. So I think I know the answer to this, Jeff, but is there any reason to use exposure lock if you're using back button focus? That's something that Nathan Goldberg is is mentioning on on Facebook Live. So they, they can be kind of closely related and it's part of the reason I don't use exposure lock much because I do I've I've remapped what the default button is for that. It's the asterisk button on the Canon camera. That's the one that's, that does exposure lock or by default is configured that way. And I configured it for back button focus. So it, no, it doesn't do exposure lock anymore in that setting. However, the one right next to it, it's called AE, AEL, I think is, anyway, there's another on button exposure right there. Exposure lock, AE, yeah. AE on. Or, anyway, um, that one can still be mapped. It, it, there's configuration of, you, you can do configurability. The, the one of the things though, so it, it doesn't have anything to do with focus. That's, that's part of what you have to make sure you understand. It's about exposure. It will also lock your white balance though. So if you have your camera set to do auto white balance, it will also lock your white balance. Um, that might be camera specifics. You'd have to look in your user's manual to make sure that's true for your camera. But for the ones I looked at in Canon and Nikon, that seemed to be um, pretty consistent that it would also lock your white balance settings so that that could be a reason to, to, to configure it. Uh, but it really back button focus is a pretty different thing uh, for the most part than than exposure lock. Just that um, it's going to be using a similar button. Yeah, you can configure the button on some cameras. Some of the more entry level inexpensive ones, you don't even get much of a choice. You can either have it do exposure lock or focus lock 
or both, but you can't have it do other things. So, um, but, but the, the best use case that I had for it, since most people said they don't use it, I was like, why then do camera manufacturers put it in there? If it's something that like, nobody uses, why is it there? Yeah. And why is and, it so important that it has a dedicated button? A dedicated there are a and, lot and it's of things on, you could use that button for. Right, right. So, um, but but I had a so I, I asked in the photo taco episode. I said if you use it, I'd really love to hear from you about what use case you use it under. So because maybe I have to be missing something. Why it's there in every? It's clearly a feature that the camera makers feel like should be there. So what am I missing? And Mario. I don't, I'm going to slaughter his last name, McGollin. <laughs> Mario, I'm sorry. Um, he he uh, provided me with a really good use case. So, and he even included some, some pictures in our Photo Taco Facebook group where um, he takes, he does a lot of stage performance shoots. And stage lighting, if, you can, if you've been to theatrical performances, uh, musicals or plays or something like that, the lighting, of course, is extremely different across that stage. Yeah. And, um, and so he uses it for that. He only has usually very little time to try to get shots as the light is moving around on the performers on the stage. So, and so he, why use that, though, instead of just shooting in manual then? Well, it, it, if it could be consistent from spot to spot to spot on the stage, I suppose manual and set it in and, and have it be one setting across all of them. But what he's saying is his experience has been the light is so drastically different that you can't, you don't have a chance that it's not, it's it doesn't work too fast. Well. Yeah. To, to go okay. manual, you, you can't switch the settings fast enough in manual mode for you, or you're going to lose all kinds of shots. So oh, that's he's, actually a pretty cool use for it. I, I never yeah. would have thought of that, but that's, that's pretty cool. And, and so you, it, that way he kind of gets the same control over what you get with manual mode, but he's, using automated modes to to make it so that it figures out how to change the settings for him but he's kind of directing the camera about how he wants it to change it a little bit more intelligently so i, I thought that was a really i've never shot stage performance so I, I wouldn't know how that goes but i thought oh I, that makes a little bit of sense to me that that would be a really solid use case for it and something that uh i i would guess you'd have to practice i'd probably be terrible at it if i went and tried it right now but if, if you got a lot of practice at it, it would be a, a pretty cool thing to do. So if you want more detail, go check out the Photo Taco episode on auto exposure lock. To find that or it, really any Photo Taco episode, the best way to find them on and see if there's one on any subject. I've got a couple of years of backlog now of, of episodes. You can just do a Google search of photo space taco space the subject, whatever it is. In this case, exposure lock. And it will probably be one of the first results that comes up from the Google very cool. All right. Well, we want to thank two companies who have helped to make the Improved Photography Podcast possible. The first is Casper. Uh, if you'll be sleeping at some point in the next uh, few weeks, unlike me, uh, who will just be editing <laughs> video, as I've mentioned before. Uh, but when I do sleep, I sleep on a Casper mattress. So I bought a Casper mattress a few months ago. I, I went and looked at all of the, you know, the big box stores and stuff. And 
the prices were insane. There was no way I was going to spend that much money on a mattress. Uh, so a friend of mine, actually a family member, recommended Casper Mattress, and I bought theirs. And then subsequently, they started advertising on the podcast. Uh, they make really quality mattresses. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper Mattress. Uh, it's kind of a springy latex uh, with supportive memory foam. The cost is again really reasonable. Um, they're you know mattresses are I saw lots of mattresses for four thousand dollars and more, uh, but Casper mattresses start at just five hundred dollars for a twin size mattress, seven fifty for a full, eight fifty for a queen, or nine fifty for a king. Under a thousand bucks, you're getting a really quality mattress, and so that's why I picked them. Um, Time Magazine named it one of the best innovation inventions of 2015. You can just buy it right on their website, and they have a hundred night risk-free trial in your home made in America. You can check it out at casper.com slash improve and using offer code improve terms and conditions do apply. That'll give you $50 toward any mattress and also by fracture. Uh, I really do love fracture. I got several fractures. They gave me some printing code so I could check it out. Um, and I, I used them last year as well. Um, and this year, I I made five pretty large prints. In fact, in the Lightroom Steel, in in the in one of the training videos, you'll see one behind me of a, of a Chinese guy smoking. Anyway, uh, you'll see a, a big print from Fracture there. The cool thing about these prints and and why I like putting them up in my house is they're totally unique. They're, it's printed directly on glass, and they have uh, quite a few different sizes. The prices are pretty reasonable, especially because you don't have to frame it. I mean, it's it's unique enough. It's on glass, so you can just hang it right as is, um, and so it makes the price uh, very, very reasonable. Uh, you can find out more about Fracture uh, and get 10% off your first order by visiting, visiting FractureMe.com slash podcast. That's FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Improved Photography in their one-question survey. We thank them for their support of the podcast. Well, we have lots more to talk about today. Um, the topic that I want to talk about today and that I am so excited by is the DJI Inspire 2. You guys know that I have been waiting for this drone for so long. And when DJI announced the Mavic uh, several months ago, I I was expecting it. I thought the Inspire was going to come that day. And then they held off. They didn't actually um, announce it. So uh, the rundown on this, this is a drone for photography. Um, it uh, The body only cost $3,000. Ouch! <laughs> but if that's too much for you, good news also came from DJI. Uh, they also announced the Phantom 4 Pro, which looks really cool. I want to talk a little bit about that in this segment as well. Uh, that's much, much more reasonably priced. Uh, fits uh, even in many hobbyist photographers' budgets. Um, but the Inspire 2 is 3000 bucks for the body. You can get your camera between 400 and 1400 depending on which one you want to get uh, using a micro four-thirds sensor. Um it has dual batteries, which gives you a 27-minute flight time, has obstacle of avoidance. Uh, the camera looks amazing. Uh, in the announcement of the of the of the uh, Inspire 2, they actually filmed like a Hollywood movie uh, at the press pre presentation. It was just really, really cool. Uh, so what do you guys think? Is this something you're interested in? Is could this could you possibly justify spending this much on a drone? What do you think? 
No I can, way. but my my wife won't let me. <laughs> the CFO says no. Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I mean, I don't see how. I mean, I kind of see how I could slightly incorporate it into my business for tutorials or things similar to that, but I just I can't justify it enough yet. Have you done yes. any? Have you guys done anything with with drones at all? I know you guys have been holdouts. No. No. Nope. I haven't. I don't want to get tempted into it. It's not something I can. I'd love to do it, but it's it's down on the priority list, way behind a bunch of lenses and, <laughs> and a lot of other things I that are uh, going to need that money. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of photographers. I got hooked though. I bought the original DJI Phantom. I loved it, but it was just way too hard to get rid of the Jello. And then I bought the DJI Phantom 3, um, and I really loved the way it fly. It was vastly improved, but the camera just wasn't up to par. It just really wasn't there. Uh, the Phantom 4, um, it really uses the same camera as the 3. Uh, now we have the DJI Mavic, which I was tempted by, but the sensor size is still really small. Um, and so it, it, it's just too frustrating. You know, when you're getting these amazing shots, uh, it's incredible what it can do. And the, the image quality just Ah, I just, it wasn't acceptable to me uh, as, a, as a still photographer. It just wasn't up to par. And so this, this to me is really, really exciting. The price obviously is high for a lot of photographers, but when you consider who this, the target market is for this, it's actually a remarkable, remarkable price. Uh, I mean, this, this is replacing a, you know, a $40,000 movie camera and a helicopter for a Hollywood right. movie, right? <laughs> like that's, that's the competitor to this, uh, at least from a couple of years ago. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's really remarkable what it's doing. I'm still holding my my breath before I can dare press that buy button, but I think this is going to be a buy for me. Uh, in the next year, I really want to focus a lot more on videography um, and mm -hmm. and uh, not just creating video, but you know time lapses and just adding a little bit of motion to the stills that I do. I I'm always going to be a stills guy, and for this, it's awesome. Um, but um, but I, I would like to to step into the motion game a little bit more. Uh, what are you guys doing with motion, and how does that fit into your still photography? I don't have any of it fit into <laughs> mine. I mean, other than you know, just recording some things on my phone if I'm if I'm at a game or or an event that would be neat, or at some of the workshops that I do, you know, just to kind of record uh, just what the attendees are doing. But that's about it. Mostly behind I, the scenes kind of stuff. I like doing time lapse. I have I that's really really fun, and I in, I just recently got the uh, Kickstarter actually worked. Kickstarter's not a store, we all know, but they actually <laughs> did their Kickstarter, and I actually got a product in the mail for for called, what's the product called? I think it was the Alpha. Uh, I should have. I didn't know I was going to talk about it here. So, but uh, <laughs> I think it was called the Alpha. 
And uh, it's it's a little like uh, it goes in your hot shoe. You connect it to the the port on your camera so that it, you can control shutter speed and, and settings. And then you can use your phone through Bluetooth to this device to do that settings. The one of the differences between this and say like the trigger trap is you don't have to leave your phone connected anymore. So you you set it up, you tell it what you want it to do, and then it's got a battery inside this little device, and it will just sit there and, and do the time lapse. And uh, trigger trap, you'd have to leave your phone connected for that to work. So, uh, so it, I haven't tried it yet. I, I just barely got it last week, but uh, I'm really excited to go take that out to some of my uh, go on like a camp out with the scouts again and uh, do some time lapse of like the moon rising or the stars moving around. That's it's fun. I really like that. Yeah, that is cool. I I also have been shooting some time lapse lately, but I I feel like it, it time lapses are too lonely if you can't add in <laughs> a little bit of video with it. You know, it's just a kind of a short clip if you can't add it in. So I I, I really do want to add in a drone uh, to my repertoire. The interesting thing about the the Inspire Two, I guess the only thing that we could call a disappointment uh, in the Inspire Two, uh, except for the price. Not that it's an unreasonable price for what it is, really, um, but just the you know, it's still $3,000, even if it's, you know, doesn't matter how cool it is. It's still a lot of money. Um, the, the only other thing that I was a little disappointed by is that they are sticking, uh, with the micro four thirds. Uh, I heard a lot of people, you know, hoping that they would move a camera into the more of the crop sensor range. But the nice thing about the Inspire series is, uh, you know, the camera's removable. You can remove the gimbal and stuff. And so as new cameras are released, uh, for this, you can, it's it's removable you don't have to buy a whole new drone like you would with the phantom series you know you buy the phantom and it's out of date in six months you know they're changing so quickly and then uh and then you're, you're stuck. You're locked in. The camera is part of the drone. And so because this one's removable, I feel like it's a lot more reasonable. Uh, you know, it's like if you had spent $3,000 on a DSLR that only had one lens on it, you couldn't switch it. You had to buy another DSLR for that, right? Uh, so th- this makes it a lot more reasonable for that. It does seem to do well in low light. It has It's advertising 12 stops of dynamic range. Uh, wow. which whenever they say that, I say, I'll be the judge of that. Because <laughs> sometimes I see a dramatic inflation of these numbers, uh, but it's, but that certainly would be impressive. It's going to be a snowstorm at the high end. Is that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We got it. Twelve stops. It might not look good, but it, we got it. Uh, so so help me, Jim, with how it is you plan. I, I get that you want to do some video, but why can't you just use your DSLR or your Fuji camera to do video? Well, you can, obviously you can, um, and you know, and it, you could do, you know, do something like sliders, uh, or, you know, whatever. There are lots of options to add, uh, a little bit of motion. Uh, but for me, it's, I, the places that I'm usually shooting are, you know, up in the mountains and rivers yeah. and places like that. Um, and, you know, you just kind of want to explore the landscape, you know, if I were yeah. just doing, uh, something small, you know, uh, you know, portrait session or something that I just, just wanted a little bit of behind the scenes video on, that'd probably be fine. You know, some like Brian, you know, you mentioned you're not doing uh, much motion. Well, you know, you're shooting NFL games. Uh, obviously the SBN cameras have the video part pretty well taken <laughs> care of, right? <laughs> they should be doing a pretty good job. Um, but, but for me, I'm out shooting landscapes and sometimes a lot of times in a landscape, it's just a, it's a little bit sad that, 
that you can't capture as much of the movement of what's happening. You know, you can you can uh, get a long exposure, you know, of water moving a little bit, but but what's really interesting is this developing cloud formation in the sky and things like that. Um, and boy, for that, uh, uh, you know, flying around the mountains and stuff uh, is pretty pretty awesome. I, I've been super inspired by what. Michael Binsky is doing. Uh, we've had him on the Tripod podcast. Um, his his time lapses are crazy. They're so yeah. cool. I, I you guys have seen these, right? From right, like, yeah. He's going to speak at our conference in March. Uh, he's a Phoenix native. Uh, his his time lapse. This one called Vorticity is one you just. You have to see it. If you haven't checked it out yet, it is totally awesome. Uh, and seeing that has really got me inspired. He's doing, you know, these are all time lapses, but I thought, dang, right. you know, adding in just a little bit of uh, of drone into some of these could be really cool. In fact, I shouldn't promise this in, until I can, uh, you know, make it happen for sure. Uh, but I am wanting to do, we have our, our free series of meetups that we do all over the world with uh, readers of improved photography. And I want to add a story storm chasing meetup uh during this during the summer <laughs> this next year and like i want to chase tornadoes and stuff with a small group liability could the, for this one could be bad <laughs> but i think it would be so cool i was just so inspired by Mike's stuff i uh i've got to go give it a try uh so I, that's that's kind of my plans for 2017 i want to do a, just a little bit with motion always gonna be a stills guy but i boy this is inspiring stuff and i'd like to get into it a little bit more have either of you played with the, I don't know if it's just an app or whatever, but where it's like the photo and then maybe just a page is turning. Was it Flixel? Or, there's a couple of different ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, have you done that at all? Have you seen, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It'll, yeah, it'll like animate pieces of the photo for you and make yeah. it look like it's moving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's like the Plata. What is that called? Yeah. I can't remember the product name, but I, I've seen, I haven't tried any of them. All right, never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> it's motion, though. It's cool. Well, anyway, um, we will see over the next couple of weeks if I end up pressing this uh, buy button on the DJI Inspire 2. Uh, but Sounds you know, like it's already pressed. Oh, man, maybe I should just do it. I don't want to be behind the data <laughs> in the pre-orders. But, you know, if this isn't, uh, you know, in the budget, which, you know, unless you're doing photography as a profession, right? Like for me, it actually does make a lot of sense. You know, just adding interesting things to the videos and stuff for tutorials, it's probably worth it, honestly. Um, it, even though it's a high expense, it, it has a return. Uh, but for most photographers, even you know hobbyist photographers, which are a lot of people that listen to this podcast, man, check out the DJI Phantom 4 and the Phantom 4 Pro. You can get them for under $1,000, and it's just really amazing what you can create. Uh, so re really, at, at uh, many budgets, you can do this, or the DJI Mavic, even less expensive. So definitely something to check out. $600, you can be into a really nice... Uh, really nice drone all right well uh i will get off my drone bandwagon um and <laughs> we're going to talk we're going to talk just a little bit about what to do as the season changes especially in north america uh, it is getting to be winter and a lot of photography slows down for portrait photography we you know the business uh isn't as much there aren't as many people buying uh portrait sessions in the cold areas of the of the country anyway um, and you know, for landscape photography, 
there's less to do. You can certainly shoot those snow landscapes, but it's just uh, you have fewer options of places to go. So what are we going to do during our photography hibernation? What do you say? <laughs> so, Jim, I know one of the first things you do is you clean your tripod, right? <laughs> this is what I should be doing. But when you extend my tripod legs, you hear... <laughs> because <laughs> i've never cleaned all the, all the salt and sand that's in there i just i know here uh, for the most part most of my portrait shoots are are coming to an end and it's just time for me to think about okay what's going to happen in the spring and so between now and then i want to maximize my time and you know be wise in what i do so you know there's for me it's a lot of just cleaning up it's a lot of organizing things uh physically organizing my office, you know, the right. area where I, where I spend most of my time editing and working and uh, throwing on my lenses and bags and stuff, but also uh, cleaning up my computer, making sure I have things backed up, uh, going into the cloud. I put a lot of stuff in uh, Google Drive often and I'll just throw it up there. And so I need to go back and organize that, you know, planning my budget for next year. But I think one of the best things that that for, as photographers that we can do is real FaceTime, not on the computer, but like <laughs> actually seeing somebody face to face, whether it's another photographer or uh, just another person in the industry, you know, wedding planners, um, DJs, videographers, just making those connections with people because those connections are going to lead to the business that comes out of that. And a lot of times the weddings, you know, that, People may often book. A lot of times, I'll book weddings after uh, after Christmas or, or the New Year's, you know, the holidays, because a lot of times that's a great wedding or a great gift for the holidays is somebody will propose. You know, so, that's a great point, Brian. If I can jump on that for a sec, I was yeah. in uh, Panera Bread this week, and the in the booth behind me was a wedding planner talking to a bride, and I eavesdropped. Of course, I did, because mm-hmm. uh, I was interested in what they're saying, and it was exactly what you're saying, Brian. Uh, the the bride asked the wedding planner. Um, says, says, well, what should I do about a photographer? And the wedding planner says, I, look, I know uh, just three photographers who I work with all the time. I know them in person. I've dealt with them before, and I wouldn't recommend choosing any other photographer. Uh, and so, you know, all the other photographers doing advertising and Facebook and stuff, it's the face-to-face ones uh, that, uh, that, that get the business. So great point. And a lot of times the, uh, you know, if it's weddings that you're trying to get into, a lot of times the uh, wedding planners already have their photographers, like you just said. So what you want to do then is you want to try to find who are the new wedding planners, who are the up and coming, the young ones, and try to form relationships with those people. So that way you're one of those three or their main photographer Mm -hmm. that they're referring So I just think it's a, you know, it's a crucial time, even though we're not out taking pictures as much it's just a crucial time to learn and to spend more time just kind of cleaning things up, but especially just making those connections. So here's another suggestion on speaking kind of a cleanup made me remember this. Um, It's a really good time to try to do like your year's top 10. And I think there's really big value in going through this. I think it helps you to focus, especially if you can do it every single year at the end of the year, you can kind of see if you're making progress year to year, 
as you go to pick your top 10 photos. And I think you could get the, the really big benefit out of kind of a marketing angle too, reconnecting with your, your audience on Instagram, on social media, by publishing what your top 10 is, maybe even having a countdown about here's number 10, number nine, number eight, all the way to, to number one and, and reconnect with, uh, if it was portraits then you can, you can kind of say thanks to the customers again, but remind people about how good it was. Maybe they'll even give some feedback and saying, Oh, that was such a great shot. We're so glad we had you as a photographer. But either way, if you go through them, evaluating your own work and trying to narrow down what were your top 10 photos that you took this year is a really valuable exercise. At least for me, it's been super helpful to go through that every single year. That Didn't is- you do a photo taco on that once about how to do that in Lightroom? And Yeah, see- kind of the mechanics, the yeah. technical aspects. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've always thought it would be cool. We've talked about this before, Jeff. It'd be cool if we could find a good way to do this so everybody from Improved Photography could submit their their top tens. Maybe we should explore that. I would love to see all the all the listeners, you know, top tens and stuff. I think that'd be cool. What's amazing to me is to to just see the progress, and I, I get encouraged by it actually because when I go look at this year's top ten, I can go, "Wow, that is way better than what I did in the past." Sometimes I've even gone back to those shots. And I thought, well, the reason that shot wasn't as good was because my post-processing technique was not nearly as good as it is now. And I'll reprocess one from a couple of years ago. And it looks so much better because of what I've learned and how I've progressed in being able to apply edits in a more tasteful way, or maybe a more contemporary way, figured out what's trending and, and the fad now and, and applying those. It really brings a lot of the older shots to life and helps me to continue to improve. It's just, it's really been a valuable exercise for me. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, I spend a lot of my winter time planning travel for photography. Uh, and <laughs> You know, photography does photography travel does not have to be super expensive. I know I've talked about this before on the podcast, but uh, two pages that I will be on a lot in the month of December is Groupon's Getaways, Flight Inclusive, and Living Social Escapes. These are both daily deals websites, uh, and I've used it several times. The prices do seem too good to be true, but they are true. <laughs> um, uh, because I've, I've done them several times. Um, you know, Brian, in fact, you and I went to Iceland on that deal. How much was it? Was it six ninety nine? I think it, well, it, it depended on if you had like a roommate and shared it. Yeah. It was like six, 700 bucks for your flight, a car, your room. It was insane. It was awesome. Uh, for that, that trip to Iceland. Uh, and, and this is not an, uh, an advertisement if anybody's wondering, uh, but they're great. They're just great deals. Uh, so ch- definitely check those out. I mean, you can hear, I'm just looking on the page right now, uh, Dominican Republic with airfare for eight, for eight days, $499. It's crazy. Uh, 10 days in Ireland. Ireland is an absolute definite. I'm going there in 2017. I've got to plan the time. $690, but $9. $699 includes your airfare from the United States, your car rental, and your lodging in Ireland for 10 days. It's crazy. Um, Israel. Ooh, I really want to go to Israel. Uh, eight, eight days for $1,000. Uh, Machu Picchu, $899 uh, for five days. It's, it's crazy the deals you can find. You know, we as photographers waste so much money on drones. Hello, why am I spending $3,000 on a drone? I could take six trips for that price, you know, and you'll obviously have other, other expenses, uh, you know, for food and other things. But, uh, 
it does not have to be super expensive. And for the price we're paying for for a, just a lens, you could go on an amazing trip and get, I mean, hey, kit lens may not be super sharp, but when it's in Ireland post, uh, pointed at awesome stuff, you can still make some pretty cool photos. Uh, so that's where I spend a lot of my time during the winter. Okay, very cool. Well, in our 12, for our skill today, we want to talk uh, about... Uh, creative commons and how we can use creative commons uh, in our photography. Um, Jeff, tell us a little bit about, about creative commons and how photographers can use it. All right. So it's, it's a licensing model that uh, when you post photos to some sites, the one that comes to mind most for me is Flickr. It, they, they make a big deal about choosing what kind of licensing type you want to post your photo out on Flickr under. And you have a bunch of choices. One of them is Creative Commons, and you can choose a, a couple of styles. It, it can be um, no commercial attribution. You have some choices on what you want to do. But it means people have the right, you are granting them the right to be able to reuse your photo um, without actually calling and talking to you or sending you a message or anything, depending on, on how you put that kind of license as you go to share it. And uh, this topic was something that a listener of Photo Taco asked about. Um, they, they wanted to know what our thoughts were on using that, that he understood that the question, the listener understood professional photographers, of course, want all rights reserved. They don't want anyone to be able to use the photo without their permission. And, and he gets that. But Except he also, I, I think I'm moving toward Creative Commons, by the way. Okay. So I'm interested to hear your take on that and why, why you would do that. But, um, but he said for hobbyists, don't we want to have people, uh, especially if they're willing to attribute the work back to you somehow, don't we want our photos out there and seen by the world? And, and I get that. I, I understand. Uh, I certainly, when I first started to do photography and I started to get some photos that were good enough to, to share I wanted so badly to share any way I could. And I was pumping them out on Flickr and I was using Creative Commons licensing. Um, and then I've had a lot of those stolen, a whole bunch of those with no attribution. And that was the only clause I had was Creative Commons attribution. And So they uh, can they, use they, the they photo did. for free as long as they right. give you credit when they use it. Yeah, as long as they credit, at least my Flickr account, like photo by my Flickr handle. Yeah, um, something, anything. It, Something like that. And, but they didn't. They, I, I found them. I'd done Google searches to find my photos and they're all over the place. There was one, uh, one company that was making art that you could buy in frames where they'd added some captions to it, but it was my photo and no attribution, of course, and they were using it commercially. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a little too easy to have that not be something that was enforceable. And as a hobbyist, um, I, I've gotten to the point now where I care about that. I, I don't want, I'm not so starving and hungry for, for it to be seen that I'm <laughs> willing to have them be stolen like that. So I'm really interested, Jim, in why it is you think you want to go to Creative Commons. Well, so I, I have done the same thing as you, Jeff. I, on, uh, you know, Flickr, you can do the same thing on 500px. Uh, you can, or just on your website, you can just say that your photos are, are you know, have a Creative Commons license. And there are lots of different Creative Commons licenses. Um, yeah. But the, you know, we're, we're, you know, this uh, Creative Commons, 
Simmons attribution, non-commercial share alike is a popular one. I'm kind of tempted to just allow the commercial, just say, hey, I, I don't care. Just just give me credit for it. Um, and, and I had the same experience as you. I put it up there and I found a lot of uses uh, uses of my photos. Uh, and I didn't find one single time once that the person actually gave me uh gave me gave me credit but you know my business is not in selling photos uh, my business is improvephotography.com and all the things that we do um improve photography plus is a huge part of our business now um and it's not it's not about selling the photos and in fact when people do make requests to buy photos and they do happen oh maybe seven, eight times a year, I'll get different requests to purchase photos from a company or an individual or whatever. It, it's kind of a lot of work if you don't have a process to be ordering those prints and fulfilling them and making sure the customer's happy with it and shipping them, that kind of stuff. Uh, because that's not a big part of my business, it kind of slows everything else down. You know, it, like like when you see tech companies, as soon as you, they get a new CEO, what do they do? They go cut off half of the business, right? Uh, <laughs> and it's not that sometimes those areas aren't profitable. It's just that they're distractions from your daily th- daily, you know, your grind, the thing that is bringing in the money. And so for me, I definitely see that the last several times that I've sold photos at the end of it, I thought, you know what, probably would have been better if I just said, here you go, (laughs) just have fun with it. Um, Not that it isn't nice to have that extra, but I really need to focus on other areas. And so that's what has me interested in doing this. I don't want my photos collecting dust on my hard drive. um, And so I, I would like to get it. Now, the problem that I've always had and I want to get you what, see what you guys think about this is whenever I give something out for free, people don't uh, take full advantage of it. There have been multiple times in the past that we had free items on improvephotography.com, free tutorials or videos. And I would look at it a year later and it's like, man, only like 4,000 people went there <laughs> all year. And so I put it together in an ebook or a product and I put it up on the website and it goes crazy. Everybody's <laughs> buying it. Uh, it people attach a value to things that have a monetary value. Um, and so that's my fear with this, um, is that, uh, when things are free, people tend to, to not value it sometimes not even enough to uh, give it a link. So is there a way that I could give away my photos in a meaningful way, um, without, uh, and have people still value it? What do you guys think? Well, I think I'm seeing that with the basketball ones I'm taking right now. I'm giving them away. There's, there's no fees attached to it. They they're getting these shots of the kids playing basketball. And, um, I guess I'm getting a little bit with the the exposure, but they are loving the photos. They're very much appreciating it. So I, I guess that's, there are some ways to be able to do that. Yeah. I think like if it is, if they're somehow connected to it personally, such as, you know, their child in the, in that photo, then I definitely agree that, you know, the, the find of value in that compared to, you know, we, we look around today and you see postcards and you look at a postcard and sometimes they're junk pictures and you're like, what you're selling those for that much. But sometimes (laughs) it's like, that's art. That's beautiful. And you're selling it for just that much. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, I think that just, I don't know, you know, the, the value is in, the viewer, the person that's looking at it and how much, you know, how much they value it. 
Well, interesting. I have some decisions to make um, in terms of what I've what I'm going to end up doing with this, but uh, I, I do want to find a way. And maybe it is that I'm just going to set up a separate website um, and uh, you know. I don't know, or put the photos up, uh, more of them up as stock. I have some photos uh, on stock. I would like to put more up there. I just want my photography to be used is what, you right. know, and, and my right. photos, when I take a photo, it's going to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people often when I take a photo, cause I get to share them on improved photography. And I love that. But, but after that, after a photo's old and I've taken it before, uh, I don't want my photos to go to waste. I want to do something with them. And so it's an option that I'm considering. All right. Well, in every episode of the Improved Photography Podcast, we always share our doodads of the week. Jeff, what do you have for us today? Hey, let me let me interrupt for a oh, second. Yeah. We interrupt uh, this this doodad for a special <laughs> announcement. Only because I think that's a good time to mention, you know, if people are out there and they want to find out if their photo is being used, you know, what are Jeff, I think you mentioned some ideas for how they can find that. Yeah. The, the, so the free easy option is to take a copy of it and like drag and drop into Google search, which works the really actual well. photo. You just drag it from either finder or windows Explorer and like go to google.com, just have the search bar up there and just drag and drop it on there. And it will go search for that photo. And now question yeah. about that. Does it have to be, you know, I've got copies of the same image all over the place where I export it, put it on a different computer than a different one. Let's say that I uploaded it from one computer, um, but then I go to do this and I'm on a totally different computer or I downloaded it from you know the, the cloud and then drag it in. Does that make a difference? I, I've even seen it find them being resampled and resized out at different sites. Uh, it's been really common. For example, they pulled it from Flickr where it was a really high resolution copy of the photo and it ended up on Instagram as a really tiny itsy bitsy version of the photo and, uh, and it matched it. So it, they're doing some really good magic there to make it so that you can find it. And they're not all exact matches. I have seen false positives like, yeah, that's not my same shot. Right. <laughs> it showed up in the search results, but it does a really good job of finding them. The other service is one, it's Pixie, P-I-X-Y, I think it is. I think it's, and isn't it P-I-C-S-E-E? -E? Isn't it Pixie? No, no, the one I'm using, I, I'm pretty sure it's just P-I, well, anyway, which, whichever one. Put it in the show notes. That is. <laughs> I can't remember right off, but um, they, that's what they do is a service like that. And what they'll do is they'll find the matches for you, which is interesting to go through, but they'll also... Um, if you want to go after somebody who's used your photo and, uh, and try to get some compensation for it, or at least get the, the attribution, like we were talking about, they'll help with that. They, they probably wouldn't help you with attribution. You'd probably have to do that yourself. But if you're going after compensation, they'll take part of whatever they negotiate or whatever they get for you. They'll go do that on your behalf, take a fee out of it, and, uh, and you'll get, you can get something for it. Although I have to say, I have yet to see any fees come back from the few photos where I've asked them to go see about getting compensation. Okay, now we can go ahead, Jim. <laughs> Sorry. All right, what do you have for us, Jeff? All right, so mine is a bunch of doodads that, that you're going to be able to find. So with uh, Christmas season coming up here, we put out every year uh, with the Improved Photography podcasts and, and the, the site improvedphotography.com a holiday gift guide so it's it's a, a bunch of doodads a bunch of photography related things that could be good gifts 
either for yourself that you could uh, recommend to people <laughs> that they get you these gifts, or if you've got a photographer in your life that you want to find a gift for, um, then, then it's going to have some recommendations. We have different budget categories from like almost a DIY, uh, a do it yourself DIY kind of category with, uh, with no funds to $25, $100, all the way up to sleep on a bed of money <laughs> kind of budget categories. And uh, the hosts of the, of the crew photography podcasts all put in what it is they would recommend at those different budget levels for people to buy. So it's, it's a really fun way to see a bunch of options that are photography related, a whole bunch more doodads that you'll be able to see. And that will become really, really soon to improve photography.com. Very cool. Well, uh, for me this week, I'm going to recommend a 4k monitor from LG. So craziest thing that I've ever seen Apple do is very unApple of them. Uh, very unApple of them. Uh, they said that they are no longer making monitors. And if you right. want to buy a new uh, monitor for, you know, for your laptop, you want to, you know, make a desktop kind of setup for your laptop when you get home, uh, that you should go over to LG and buy theirs. And I thought, wait, what? This can't be. <laughs> Apple would never say this. Um, anyway, so LG is making a uh, USB-C um, right. monitor. So this is cool because the same plug into your computer, if you have the new MacBook Pro, uh, will charge your computer and it will send the data over to the monitor. Uh, so it is interesting. Uh, it, you know, it's something that only in, unless you have a brand, brand new computer is this uh, necessary at all. Uh, but, you know, monitors last a long time. Uh, you're probably going to have a monitor for a while. So as long so, as you can get your adapters right, uh, which is a big question, uh, right. this is a great, great monitor to choose. It's 4K, uh, over 99% of the sRGB color gamut. Uh, some some really cool things. Um, and uh, so so something to check out. If you're getting a monitor for, for photo editing uh, for your laptop, then this would be a good choice. So I want to add two quick things to that one, Jim. First off, there was a bunch of news just today about how the new MacBook Pro really only connects via USB-C. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> you, you, you can't do HDMI, you can't do DisplayPort with their own adapters. So, um, you know, you might have to get a new monitor yep. if you're in the 2016 MacBook Pro, at least for a little while. I'm sure other manufacturers are going to come up with adapters that will actually work. And they, the port itself is going to be fully capable of, of going to other outputs like yeah, the HDMI. I guarantee it'll be fixed in a few months. Right. So, But for right now, <laughs> there's a lot of people very unhappy that they got their new MacBook Pro and they can't even connect it to their monitor because it doesn't Or work a projector right for a business presentation right. or anything. <laughs> right. The second thing is, if you're not using Mac, if you're using a PC, this could... Be, lead to some performance problems. So um, anything above 2K, uh, the 2560 resolutions, um, can be a challenge. And, and the reason is the, the GPU acceleration that Adobe added to Lightroom, the little switch that we've kind of universally said, just turn that off. It's not That's not great to have on. Um, the reason they added that in was because of performance problems on 4K and 5K monitors. It was very specifically targeted at that to make it so that it, it worked acceptably at those high levels. 
But on the PC side, the support for it is very spotty. It doesn't work with all video cards. It has struggles enough that you kind of have to turn it off in a lot of cases. So if you have that combination where you're using a 4K or 5K monitor on the PC and you have a video card that doesn't really support that, that GPU processing in Lightroom, that could really be a bottleneck and a problem. Um, so be aware of that, that you might, that might not be the best thing right now to go to 4k if you, especially if you're on PC. Very cool. And Brian, what do you have for us? So my doodaddy actually can't get yet, uh, but you'll be able to soon. Uh, recently I was able to check out the new peak design everyday backpack. They sent it to me and I got to try it out for a couple of weeks with a bunch of shoots and I really liked it. Um, if, what I think is so good about this bag, well, you have to wait and see. I'm, I'm going to have a review up this week on improved photography, so you'll be able to check it out. But uh, I've been impressed with their price compared to a lot of other camera bags. So the pre-order is $259.95, which compared to a lot of other backpacks that I've seen and that I've reviewed in the past, that's, that's fairly cheap. It's a decent price. The quality is great and they really have thought through some things. So yeah, I'm glad to, to see that it has a, them, yeah. a laptop slot. So many <laughs> photography bags don't have a laptop <laughs> slot and that's a deal breaker for me because right. I'm always taking a laptop to, to post process. Mm -hmm. Yep. Very so that, cool. so that'd be mine. So you gotta come to uh, improve photography to check out the review. Very cool. Well, thank you everybody for joining us in this episode 201 of the Improved Photography Podcast. I hope you'll remember to check out the Lightroom Steel on November 28th. That's a Monday. Uh, it's only going to be there for for 72 hours. Uh, we're not going to do a last chance sale in July. It's going to be available one time for the entire year. You're never going to see it on sale ever again. Uh, I'm putting absolutely everything I can. If you want to see the very best uh, training and uh, Lightroom presets uh, and some other goodies that Lightroom, that improved photography can produce. This is the time to get it. Uh, we only do this once a year. This is our fourth annual Lightroom steal. Um, the price is $39.99 and uh, we give you a pretty awesome value for what you get for that. Uh, so check that out on improvephotography.com on uh, Cyber Monday. Uh, December or November 28. Thanks everybody for joining us in this episode of the podcast and Jeff and Brian, thank you for your time and we'll see you mm -hmm. in another seven days.